you would turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But I'll let you go ahead and be turning there. Let me give you just a word of explanation. Justin and I have been talking in recent weeks, I guess maybe in a couple of months, about the issue of uh, corporate prayer. You know, we have we had prayer meeting on Wednesday night for a while, and then we changed that because we wanted to, to seize that opportunity to do uh, some systematic teaching through the Word of God and, the, and systematic theology. And so uh, then uh, we, we gave uh, some thought to using the Sunday, uh, the Sunday school hour as a time of prayer. And one of the problems with that uh, was is that uh, in the class that Justin and I are in, that's not the whole church, and so most, many of you, most of you were not in there in that group of people on Sunday morning, so it didn't seem like that was a satisfactory uh, a way to address the, the problem of the need uh, for a time of corporate prayer. And so what we are engaging in is, uh, is for the next while to take the first uh, Sunday night of each month and let that Sunday night, so that will be 12 times a year, be a time for us to uh, practice corporate prayer. What we are planning on doing is taking the uh, first maybe 20 to 30 minutes, possibly no more than 20 minutes, uh, with uh, what Justin called the other night a sermonette, uh, something about the subject of corporate prayer. Uh, and, and then to take the rest of the time uh, on Sunday evening, once a month, uh, to share prayer requests and to bring things before you and to uh, try to do that well. And so that's the purpose. That's why we're having a little bit of a different uh, uh, structure tonight, and we'll try to do that on the first Sunday night of each month. Many aspects of the Christian life are difficult. However, one aspect of Christian duty that is really easy for most of us to do consistently and to be faithful about, to make time for, to always keep as a priority and to have plenty of energy for is prayer. And so it is with the local church as well. Easy to stay focused on prayer. Easy to have enthusiasm for prayer. Easy to be dedicated to prayer. Do you agree with what I just said? I'm going to take it that we really don't agree with that. Actually, it's pretty much the opposite, isn't it? Most of us would say, I think if we were honest, that prayer is the hardest thing for us to do well, for us to do consistently, for us to do with fervor. For most Christians, it is more difficult than the other means of grace. It is harder than consistently coming to church, or it's harder than consistently reading our Bible, harder than many other uh, Christian duties and disciplines. Almost every time you hear someone preach or teach about prayer, the person speaking almost always makes the same preface by saying that this is an area that I struggle with and I need to improve on. And almost always the speaker will say that before he engages in preaching on prayer because we all do struggle with this part of our Christian life. It's the hardest thing for me personally to be consistent about in my Christian life. I know it's for many of you. Now, there is both private and public prayer in the Christian life. Obviously, these two things are very different. There is secret prayer 
And then there's corporate prayer, the prayers that we do together here uh, in church as a group. Our focus tonight and on these future Sunday nights that we'll set aside for a meditation on prayer and, and then a t- uh, following that a time of corporate prayer, uh, the subject of those meditations will be the subject of corporate prayer. What do I mean by corporate prayer? Well, it's that pray, praying that we do collectively as we come together as the people of God and we approach our God in prayer as a body of believers, as a church. It is praying that He is we praying and not I praying. And so when we're praying corporately, we are praying we, and we're whoever is praying publicly is praying for us as a group. And it's not uh, a prayer where we are, are thinking about I, I, I request these things uh, to God. It's we praying and not ra- I praying. Pastor Justin and I want us as a church to develop a time of structured public prayer as a consistent part of our life together here at Mount Hermon. And that's why we are trying to address this particular thing at this point in our church life. And there are a number of important things to consider concerning the doctrine of corporate prayer. All we're going to do tonight is just introduce the topic. I have really a long list of ideas of things that we should talk about, could talk about, and should talk about concerning corporate prayer. The doctrine of corporate prayer itself engages many other things. It, it, it deals with our union with Christ and our union with each other. It, it deals with the subject of prayer and worship and the, the role that prayer has in worship. And then there's the issue of prayer and the sovereignty of God. Have you ever asked the question or heard the question asked? Why pray if God is sovereign? Ever heard that question? Well, that's something I think is part of our study that we should address that kind of question and see, is that a hindrance or is that uh, truth a, a help to us in our praying? There are many Old Testament examples that are worthy of consideration. There are New Testament examples of corporate prayer that are worthy of our consideration. There's the question of the use of the public amen. When is it appropriate and should we say at certain times amen uh, when we're in a time of public prayer? Who should pray publicly? Who should lead us in prayer? What should our prayer priorities be? What are the appropriate things that we should should pray about and especially in a corporate situation versus a private setting? And so tonight I just want us to look at this one thing and that is just to talk just briefly about the priority of public prayer in the life of the church. Acts chapter 1, if you'll read with me, verses 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so we have here at the very opening uh, of this book of Acts, which is an account of the the story of what was going on, the history of what was going on in the earliest days of the church, one of the very first things that he tells us is, is that they were consistently, verse 14 says, they were continually 
devoting themselves to prayer. And it wasn't just the apostles, but it was the women. And it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and his brothers as well. So it wasn't just the apostles that were doing this in these very first days after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is something that immediately, this is before Pentecost and when we would even say that the Christian church was, was really begun at Pentecost. But even before that, in the weeks prior, this is what they were doing from the time of Christ's resurrection up until the day of Pentecost. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. And then if you'll notice down in verse 24, when they were dealing with the particular matter of replacing Judas. And so here the, 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 the group of Christian people have a decision to make. And they're going to decide who is going to take Judas's place as one of the apostles. And they've been discussing that. And it says in verse 24, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show which one of these two thou hast chosen to occupy this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go into his own place. And so before making that decision, they're turning to the Lord uh, for guidance and for wisdom and for help in making this important decision for the early church. The early church was committed to prayer as a priority. It was an obvious sign of their unity and their commitment to each other and to Christ that they came together for prayer. Look at chapter 2 and verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, this is an extremely important verse in the New Testament for us, for, our, for us as a church. It essentially dis defines for us what we do as a church. This is basically what we do when we come together. We do these things. We teach and preach the apostles' teaching, verse 42 says. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's what we do as we teach and we preach here at church. We live a common life of loving interaction and fellowship. And that's the next thing in our verse, and to fellowship. They were devoting themselves to fellowship. We eat together, and especially we break bread at the Lord's table as we did this morning in our morning service. That is, to the breaking of bread. And so we sometimes eat meals together, but more importantly than that, the, the most important meal we take together, I hope we know, is when we, do, when we actually participate in the Lord's table. And then it says at the end of the verse, and to prayer, and I think in the uh, ESV it says, and to the prayers, which is actually uh, what we actually see in the Greek text. The, the literal rendering of the end of that verse is the prayers. The definite article is there at the end of the verse. It is the prayers. And so it's a term that means that they were devoting themselves to something that could be specifically identified. They were engaging in some kind of structured, specific activity that was going on in the life of the church, even in these earliest days of the church, that could be, de that could be described by the term the prayers. They were devoting themselves to the prayer. I would say it's the same thing as our saying prayer meeting, that we have prayer meeting. And so they were devoting themselves to those things. In chapter 3, verse 1, 
Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And that hour of prayer was the, the hour of prayer that they had at the temple itself. So it wasn't at the Christian church. And as they were going there, there in chapter 3, verse 1, they were arrested. And when we see what they do in uh, chapter 4, verse 23, if you would turn there. Chapter 4, verse 23. We see what they do when they are released from prison. And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said. And so here we have an example of corporate prayer. So one of the first things they've done is they've come together. And it says of one accord, all the people that are together together are joining in prayer, but someone is leading the prayer, and this is what is being said in the prayer as, as this prayer is being made. O Lord, it is Thou who didst make the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, Thy servant, didst say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? And the kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst did anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. While thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. That was the prayer that it says that they with one accord were praying. And so I would suggest that while we have a prayer recorded here, which is very instructive, by the way, about corporate prayer and would be worthy of us studying and see, well, what were they praying about and what was the content of their prayer and all those kind of things. But that aside, this is something that with one accord they were taking up and praying. And notice verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now that speaking the word of God with boldness is something that we're going to see from this point in the book of Acts on through the book of Acts. Because what happens? Who would have ever thought that in a short, short time the Christian church would grow and expand and be moving through the world? And what is the explanation for it? There really is no human explanation for how the Christian church very quickly from just this little handful of people spreads throughout the Roman Empire and throughout the whole world eventually. Uh, it, there's no explanation for it except for what we see in verse 31, and that is God was answering prayer and God was energizing the gospel and God was blessing what the church of Christ was doing in the world. And they were, in fact, able to speak the word of God with boldness. In chapter 6, verse 4, Peter and John, excuse me, in chapter 6, verse 4, the reason for establishing what amounts to a prototype of the diaconate, the equivalent of our modern-day deacons, uh, is the need for the apostles to be able to focus their time and attention on preaching and praying. Verse 4 says, And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And then down in verse 6 it says, And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying... 
they laid hands on them. And so they selected men to take up what was a, pretty much the equivalent of our modern-day deacons. And b b before they go about their work, before they are recognized and set about their duties, the church recognizes them by praying for them and charging them with this task. And so they pray and ask God's blessing on what these men will do. So what are the things that they're doing, they did this so that the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and to the Word of God. And then the first thing they do is they engage God in prayer as these men take on their responsibilities and duties. And so it is throughout the book of Acts. We see God's people praying. We see God opening doors. We see the, the preaching made powerful. We see things happening that they never would have expected to happen. But they do it in the answer. Those things happen in the answer of prayer. In chapter 12, let me just give you one more example. In chapter 12, in verse 11, in this chapter, Peter is arrested, and he's delivered by an angel. And it says in verse 11, And when Peter came to himself... He said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And so Peter's in prison, but what are the Christians doing? They're gathered together in one place, and they are praying, and I think we can guess... We can speculate that they were praying for Peter as well as probably many other things that they had needs for as the people of God and, and, and as, as God's people in that place in that time. But certainly they were praying for Peter. Then verse 13 says, And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, You are out of your mind. She kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. They were saying something like, you've just seen a, you've seen a ghost. Uh, it's your imagination, is what they're saying. We know that Peter can't be there because Peter's in prison. Well, what had they just been praying for? For Peter to not be in prison, I'm sure. And so they really had high expectations that their prayers were going to be answered. But you see that God is answering their prayers in miraculous, unexpected ways. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. Well, they were amazed because God was answering their prayers in extraordinary ways. Charles Spurgeon ministered for nearly 40 years. The Metropolitan Temple held uh, 5,000 people, would seat 5,000 people, and often there was an overflow uh, crowd at the Sunday services. Spurgeon once observed that he couldn't remember a Lord's Day when someone was not converted. Can you imagine that? That every Sunday, as far he couldn't remember a Lord's Day when someone was not converted. When people asked the secret of his success, Spurgeon replied, My people pray for me. That was his answer for why his ministry was successful. Spurgeon began Monday night prayer meetings, and on the first meeting, 
uh, he said, and this is recorded in a book called Only a Prayer Meeting, because that was the title of his first sermonette, and he did actually a sermonette followed by prayer, kind of what we're thinking about doing now. Uh, and in that book, and it's actually, there's a book, Only a Prayer Meeting, that has these little sermonettes. I think there's about 40 of them, and uh, you can get that on the internet, by the way. But this is what he said in that first sermon that he, he preached on Monday night, the first Monday night prayer meeting. He said this, How could we expect a blessing if we were too idle to ask for it? How could we look for a Pentecost if we never met with one accord in one place to wait upon the Lord? Brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general until the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. And I would suggest to you that there is a direct connection between the power and effectiveness of the word and the prayers of God's people. Are we faithful to preach the gospel? I think that we can say that nearly every time we come together in this place, the gospel is preached and people are called on to believe in Christ. I think we can say that and that would be true. But don't we always say that people are saved by prayer and by preaching? Are we doing the prayer part to put fuel and life behind the gospel which is being preached? I can tell you that we can preach all we want. If God doesn't bless it, we have done nothing at all. It won't accomplish a thing. It won't be worth the air that we breathe out to preach. If God doesn't do something as well. Our praying is our saying that this is God's work and not ours. We preach the gospel, but when we pray about the gospel and for the gospel and for the preaching and for people that are going to hear the gospel, that is our saying that it is God's work and not ours. I think it could be demonstrated that throughout the history of the church, great periods of God's working have been connected to times of increased prayerfulness in His church. God does great things when His people pray. Pastor Justin and I think, and I hope that you all agree, that we need to be people who maintain prayer as one of our priorities as a church. We've talked many times about the importance of the centrality of preaching. It is a conviction that we have and something that we're committed to. Our dogged and determined commitment to the priority and centrality of preaching of the Word of God will mean nothing if we don't have an equal commitment to what Acts 2.42 calls the prayers. Now, I readily admit that prayer is not entertaining. Prayer usually doesn't draw large crowds. Prayer is not something where people afterwards say, oh, the prayer meeting is so exciting. And I love to go and I love to pray. And we don't often have that reaction. There are some people that are like that, but they're few and far between. And let's be frank and honest, there are obstacles that we face when we pray. I have a list here that I actually found this list and I thought it was interesting because I smile when I read it. I'm going to share some of these things with you. This is a list of the, the obstacles and difficulties about prayer and prayer meetings and public prayer. Number one, my, my, my mind wanders. You ever had that happen when other people are praying? 
I get bored. That's number two. I get bored. Ever had that experience? I don't feel close to or part of the other people's prayers. I think about what I'm going to say when it's my turn instead of praying along with the others silently as they pray. I get intimidated at others' eloquence. In other words, other people seem to just have a gift, and some people do have a gift to, to pray, and to pray in a way that, seem, that really is engaging. And, 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 and so we hear that, and then it makes us not want to stand up and pray because we can't pray like that. I am intimidated by others' eloquence. I'm irritated at others' long-windedness. I get frustrated when everyone covers the same ground. They was pray for the same things over and over and over again by different people. I find myself more concerned with what others think in the group than really talking with God. In other words, when I'm praying, I'm, I'm more worried about how it's going to sound to the people that are hearing me than I am you know, focusing my attention on really praying to the Lord. I often don't sense God's power working in the group, but instead prayer feels like a, a, that it is tedious or obligatory. So it's a duty and I'm not really engaged in it in my heart. Well, those are, those are things that if you've been in a Christian for many, many years and been in many, many prayer, prayer meetings, you can probably, you might not want to admit it, but you can probably say, amen. <laughs> I've experienced every one of those things at some time uh, in my life, in my prayer life, and in the life of corporate prayer. Now, just because it's not a crowd pleaser, and just because it is not exciting, and just because it requires effort and concentration and commitment and discipline doesn't mean that we shouldn't give ourselves wholeheartedly to it. It is a discipline, but it is a discipline that is an absolute necessary for the life of the church. And corporate prayer is the business of the church. It is your business, and it is my business, and we need to give ourselves to it in the hope that God will make everything else that we do, all the other things that we do in the church that are not the prayer meeting, that God will make all the other things that we do in uh, the church accrue to the good of our souls and to the glory of God. I mean, we want all the other things that we do, and maybe we enjoy more or we like more. We want those things to be good. We want God to bless them. Well, we should be praying and asking God to do exactly that. But let me tell you something that I, I believe with all my heart. If we give ourselves to prayer, our God is able to bless us and make the life of the church sweet and good, and he is able to make the time of prayer a time that is sweet and good. It doesn't have to be those things on that list. It can be, and we've experienced that from time to time, but it doesn't have to be like that, and we're going to try to do all we can to help it not be that way, but it doesn't have to be the way because there are times in the life of Christian churches that the time of prayer is the best time and the time that people really do look forward to. Now, I don't want to give you the impression before I, I close this brief introduction. I don't want to give you the impression 
that Pastor Justin or myself think that this prayer doesn't, this church doesn't already pray and that we're going to start praying now. We do pray and we have prayed uh, over the years. We pray even now three times every Sunday morning service, two or three times every evening service. We probably pray at the beginning and the ending of every Sunday school class. We do that on our Wednesday night services, our teaching sessions. We begin and we end in prayer. We find times in the life of our church when there are special needs to draw attention to the congregation, to special needs, the current things that are happening in the, uh, that are a present need, and we, and we pray for those things. And so we do those things. And, uh, and so I don't want you to think that anybody thinks that we don't. But I suspect that just about every one of us in this room we say that we personally could and should do better, even much better, in our prayer life. And in the same way, we want Christ's church to do much better by the grace of God. So that's what we're going to attempt to do on these first Sunday nights of each month. And I will uh, close and turn the rest of the evening over to Pastor Justin.